James, I've been thinking a lot lately about how I'm going to write my next app and what platforms I'm going to support and all that stuff and what technologies I'm going to take advantage of. And I hate to admit it, but I think I'm not writing a cross-platform app for my next app, but I'm kind of taking a big bet on one platform and just putting all my energy into that. I think I'm a little bit insane. What do you think? Is that is that new platform WebOS? Is that the... Target? <laughs> no, it's not WebOS, but you know, I do have a TV that runs WebOS, so it's mm-hmm. tempting. I just have this other thing where I actually need to make money to pay rent, so not going to target WebOS. <laughs> That's okay. No, this is actually, to be honest with you, it's that file new and you sit there. This is what I do, at least. I sit there and I go, hmm, there seems mm-hmm. to be a lot, of, a lot of templates in here. Do I want... Do I want this one? Do I want Android? Do I want iOS? Do I want like a WinForms app? What about a new ASP? Mm-hmm. What about just a new ASP.NET website real quick? Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. We'll just throw that in. Yeah. Well, so I, I'm interested in kind of unfolding this entire topic yeah. because for <laughs> you, do you make all of your money per se um, through the apps or creating and yeah. generating and updating and selling apps and in-app purchases and you live and breathe and die and your apps are... Well, mostly I would say geared, I'm going to, I'm going to subphrase and you can mm-hmm. correct me, are mostly really iOS focused. You are a very cross-platform developer as many of your apps are on Windows. I have Calca right here, which I run all the time. It's beautiful. Yeah. There's uh, no charts and graphs yet, but I'm waiting for the update. <clears throat> and, um, and I also have a lot of your apps on Mac too. I actually have Calca on the Mac and, um, yeah. That one does have charts and graphs, so that's really really great. Yeah. So so this well, is interesting. So why? What is the? Is it an app that you're creating? A game? Like what is the, what is what are you creating? Yeah, I, an app for sure. Uh, and it's funny uh, because we we use .NET, which just naturally just runs everywhere, right? So it's kind of you just naturally write cross platform apps because you're running in a language that runs everywhere. So when I say I'm not writing a cross platform app, I'm usually meaning I'm taking a dependency on a specific technology. So like in the case of iOS, that's core animation. You know me, I love my graphics. And uh, we have great alternatives in the cross-platform world. We have OpenGL, we have Skia, we have NGraphics, we have all this stuff. But part of me gets a little tired of abstractions and having to code against... um APIs that are pretty close to what the operating system's capable of, but the operating system's actually, you know, capable of so much more. So it's just wanting to get down into the metal and be able to exploit everything the OS is capable of rather than work through an abstraction layer. Yeah, I guess that's interesting because there's two two things to really diagnose there. One is you're you're still going to write business logic that could potentially be shared at some point, like your yeah. models, whatever. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter too much. But there's potential for cross-platform code. But there's really seems to be two important distinctions, which is, am I going to live and breathe by one user interface? Am I going to take a dependency yeah. on a cross-platform user interface? And that could be anything. That could be Xamarin Forms. That could be doing everything in Skia, I guess, if you want to draw mm-hmm. your entire application using <laughs> yeah. something new like React Native I've or Flutter. <laughs> yeah, you could. You totally could. And then you're also talking about the underlying bits and pieces, which are the core of core in iOS. Often happens to be named core. But to yeah. me, those are things such as, oh, I'm not really going to take a dependency on tons of plugins or abstractions or other helper libraries. Like, oh, you could use Lottie for everything. No, no, no. I'm just literally going to use what Apple told me. So 
are, are you both on both of those topics throwing away any of those bits that are cross-platform? No, and uh, honestly, it's just been such a back and forth with me because the pros and cons really level out to this almost 50-50 playing field. Like Skia, we've talked about in the past, is an excellent library for drawing. And I even wrote a bunch of demos really trying to push it, like how fast, how many objects can I render at 60 frames per second or something like that, right? And it always comes out doing very well. But there's a few tricks I want. I want to be locked into, say, the iPad Pro's 120 hertz refresh rate uh, we've talked about in the past but that's actually a lot it's a retina screen it's a high def retina screen uh, running at 120 hertz and that takes a bit of gpu and a bit of data processing and so you need to run on the gpu basically and so i want my apps to have that smooth animation what can i say like i just want them to look good and one of my biggest complaints about iCircuit was it's kind of choppiness, it's kind of lagginess. It wasn't running at 120 hertz, and gosh darn it, I want that. And it also sounds like you want the control, because there are probably libraries such as Urho Sharp or Skia Sharp that are going to get really great performance, but then they also have the limitation that if you want to do something that those libraries aren't doing, then you're going to have to go write the code anyways. And it might mm-hmm. even be more, tr- it might be trickier. Uh, is, is that one of yeah. the main also reasons to go down that route? I'll actually, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just explain the specific scenario that I'm kind of contending with. And that's, um, I have a mostly graphical display. I'm drawing something graphical, a circuit. <laughs> and I want to put a UI element in there, say a text box, so that someone can enter, say, a resistor value, something like that. Now, Skia and Urho are excellent drawing platforms. They're fast, they're efficient, you can draw pretty much anything that you want. But what they don't do is integrate with the user interface that well. They have their own cross-platform user interface built uh, into them. Like Urho, I was really looking into, because that has a whole 2D UI library with scroll bars and text entry and all that stuff. So it is actually all baked in. But obviously, you're not getting um, the native uh, controls or anything like that with those. So it was this actual problem of not only did I want high-performance graphics, but I wanted integration with a native platform. Now, I'm sure I could have done some hacks, or I could do some hacks to get, like, Skia to talk to Xamarin Forms and do all that stuff. But when I'm writing an app, I'm not really in the mood to be running a library at the same time. I want to focus on the app and not do both. That makes sense. And I think that at the same time, it really sounds like you're maybe developing for a single platform? Is that the case here as well? Uh, I'm, I'm still going to try for iOS and Mac. Um, just <laughs> as, as someone who sells apps, I do well on those two platforms. So kind of as a business decision, I just want to be on both. And the fact is the nature of my apps, I tend to make these productivity apps that really do benefit from being in a desktop environment. I try to make them mobile first, but you know, sometimes you just can't beat the accuracy of a mouse in a giant 30-inch monitor. Uh, so I, I, I do plan on hitting Mac also, but the only reason is because they're both core animation based. And so mm-hmm. I can pull off the same tricks in both easily. Yeah. If people don't know either, because I've done a little bit of iOS and Mac development and looked at tutorials, a lot of the APIs are very, 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 very similar. So if you're writing things in a multi-targeted project or a shared project, then you could if def a few code or use using statement tricks essentially to rename a few things and realign names. So you almost wouldn't even have to 
do a lot of customization work in that part besides just the top level yeah. you know user interface um there yeah and you you get the same benefits in say uwp um if because that thing works on well phones i don't know does anyone have a windows phone anymore but works on There's the phones and works on the, <laughs> works on the desktop i think uwp is honestly turned into kind of the desktop uh thing and pads those are still and popular, right? everyone's got this yeah. <gasps> i always forget about the xbox do you, do you sell anything on the Xbox? We well, so I, I just recently shipped another UWP app because I yeah. was for fun. And I, Xbox and I, app. <laughs> and, X, and I thought about it. Actually, I don't, I think you have to maybe sign up for some program or do something. It'd be really funny uh, to open up your Xbox to use scoreboard and like, <laughs> it's literally three mm-hmm. buttons that are just entering names. Totally. But you could do it. I wouldn't see why not. It's not very pretty at yeah. all. But I, I want to bring it to <laughs> Mac because it, it, it actually, that's an app that's very cross-platform in all aspects of it, but I do want to, you know, go to, to every platform that I possibly can. But at the same time, that makes it really tricky. So some reason that reasons that I don't like going to every single platform, uh, to be honest, I'm actually jealous of you saying, oh, I'm only going to target this one platform or two platforms. I get a little bit jealous because... Then I get into the framework of I have to worry about all the architecture of my code, all the MVVM, mm-hmm. all the libraries. I have to think yes. about, I have to worry about, oh, what happens in the next version of Android or next version of iOS? What if there's a bigger notch? What if there's a smaller notch? What if there are no notches? <laughs> and I was listening to Under the Radar and Marco was talking about Ding. Overcast. <laughs> Ding. I have a bell. Ding. We, we talked about Marco. <laughs> talked about, this is a Marco bell. Ding. Uh, and he was talking about how he updated overcast for the iPhone X and specifically Mm -hmm. he was saying that he tried forever to get landscape mode to work or no, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Landscape mode to work. Yeah. He just gave up. He said, no, he said, no, brother. (laughs) And I was thinking, (laughs) I was thinking, I go, you know what? He's, he's targeting that single platform. It's just an iPhone app, but he has really fine grained control. So if you're doing that type of stuff in Xamarin Forms, Xamarin Forms controls everything. So it's harder to lock specific pages or specific activities to say, this one's not in portrait or this one is in landscape. And I was like, wow, he really has such fine grained control that only on mm-hmm. an iPhone X, no landscape, you know? And yeah. that was something I was like, man, that's really awesome. And again, that is his main moneymaker. So I'm thinking about like the potential of as you start to add on and get more complex and apps get more complex, you know, how much extra code do you want to write to, to handle that? Cause all of it is possible at the same time, but it sounds like for you, maybe you don't want to go through that extra work or you're better, or you're maybe further off saying I'm, I'm, I'm more capable right now of doing more work to create the UI so I can get the high fidelity stuff. And so I don't have to worry about that stuff later. Like, does that come into play? Oh my God. All of the above. I mean, you just nailed everything. Um, let's start with our classic line, uh, line, <laughs> single dev over here. I, I only have so much time. And so what I found is even if I have a cross platform app, even if it shares 95% of the code and all that, there's still a lot of overhead of uploading an app to a store, doing product support for that store, all that kind of stuff. So there's just the overhead of even releasing the app after it's been made cross-platform. I don't want to sound like a downer because we love to talk about how easy it is to create cross-platform apps, but the truth is you got to support these things after you release them. And I think that's what you learn after years of all this stuff. It's not just an app, it's it's a maintenance schedule after you release it too. Um, 
I also want to mention, you also nailed it with Xamarin Forms. I think one of the brilliant things about the design is how you can fall back on renderers, custom renderers for anything. So say you are struggling with landscape mode on the iPhone X, uh, you can just, worst case scenario, just write your own backing renderer that just does whatever hacky, terrible thing it needs to do to make it look good. That's all fair, by the way, in UI design. There, there has to be hacks, otherwise it's not humane. Yeah, but, yeah, that makes sense. But it's it, it's it's overhead. It's um it's a cross platform is not free. No, no matter what, un- unless you really limit yourself to the function set of Xamarin Forms and never leave it. Otherwise, it's not free. And I had this uh, case where I actually architected Continuous, my IDE, to be cross-platform, even though, as everyone knows, it's only ever been released on one platform. So I often question myself of whether it was intelligent or not for me to make that cross-platform or not, or should I have just devoted all my time to making it the absolute best iOS app possible, well, which I'd is like, honestly what I ended up doing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I want to talk about that architecture, though. So how, when you went into Continuous, you obviously architected in a specific way that it could potentially, but you're kind of going into this application targeting two. So what type of architecture are you using frameworks or are you using <laughs> some, some, you know, I've been watching a lot of like Redux type of lifting state, you know, type yeah. of thing. Are you thinking about yeah. using some new stuff? Because you're file new. This is a great time for Frank Krueger life. How oh, often do you file new a real thing <laughs> besides it's the demo? scary, actually. You know, I've been doing a lot of pacing around my apartment because it turns out when you have an infinite world of options in front of you, it takes an infinite amount of time to settle on w- which options to actually follow through with. So I've been having these debates with myself also. Now, uh, I I gave a talk, maybe I even gave it a few times at conferences, but I am kind of in on these uh, functional architectures. Technically, they're called um, FRP programs, Functional Reactive Programming. But the idea is really nice and simple. It's that the entire state of your app is in this immutable object Object, and therefore, it's easier to reason about, it's easier to make things cross-platform, it's easier to implement things like undo buffers and just stuff like that. And I had good success with that style uh, with Continuous. And so I was really debating whether to go back to a classical object-oriented architecture, but I think I, I, think I really enjoy this style, and I'm going to stick with it one more time. I was digging through some F-sharp code um, recently that had this type of architecture. Now, I'm not going to say which type of app or what app it was specifically, but let's just say that there was this model that I, I was, it was quite elegant. And the state, the state was so high, it kind of blew my mind because at some point <laughs> I'm so used to this. Uh, I was sitting down with Matthew recently, Sukup, one of the cloud developer advocates, and we were talking about architecture, which I love. I love talking architecture because I'm so diehard. It it's fun. We're getting it, old. <laughs> is it is it is that what it is? I thought it I, I thought it know. I thought it was because my beard is half gray <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I think what happened here is I I I fell in love with MVVM and I love the concepts of it and that's an architecture and there's frameworks on top of it and MVVM is very much you have a a a page of a user interface and there is logic that sits behind it that interacts with it. And kind of what this app was doing was it lifted almost everything higher than that. I mean, there was still kind of some, some, some kind of view to view model type ratio, but what happened was is 
the state on top of it was even higher. And, and I was thinking about this with Matthew. I go, here's, here's something to think of this architecture, okay? We were building this contact app, and there's two pages. There's a all contacts, and there's a nearby contacts. Mm. This is a real thing that we yeah. built. And in that okay. world, I have two view models, all contacts view model, and I have nearby view model. And sure. all contacts picks everything, and then and it goes up to Cosmos DB, pulls on the data, caches it. Then the other view model, when you click a button, will look for your geolocation and look to find people that are nearby you. Okay. Now, what's interesting here is that that nearby page has to go query all people and then also query check-ins. And I go, that's really interesting because we now kind of have two things in memory that are doing the same thing. And they're actually calling helper methods and caching layers. But I go, in this model that I just saw, you can almost lift that state higher up above Mm -hmm. it. And you could say, well, these are these, I mean, they're almost like static globals. Oh my goodness, shoot me now. Um, You know, (laughs) Uh, but you, you almost lift them higher and you say, my entire app cares about all of this and everyone can share in on this glory. Not to say you're going to load mm-hmm. all of it when the app loads, but when those things happen right. on demand, you could also reset all of that. And then all of the state of the application flows. And in fact, I was watching um, a video of Flutter from the Dart conference where they they preach um, and and talk about Redux very often. I think that's kind of that model. I'm not really sure because I'm on a web. Div- it is okay. And I thought it was <laughs> yeah. interesting. I was like, hmm, how could I blend that into a my normal day to day development, uh, which I think is possible. But I, I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if it would work fully for how I build applications. It would almost like mm-hmm. change my mind. But I don't know. Am I saying this stuff right or wrong? I guess I don't know. <laughs> I do worry if everyone's following along or not. It, it's so hard to talk about architectures um, just with voices without, you know, diagramming on the board and all that. But yeah, I, I, I think you nailed it. And actually, you hit upon one thing. Um, it's a little lesson I learned writing MoCast, my podcast player. And what that guy was doing was going to a million different web services to create this collection of data. And sometimes I'd go to this server and get this little bit of info, that server, that little bit of info. And what I had was separate data models for each one of those kind of queries. And I realized I'd kind of made a fundamental mistake because I ended up having to, in database terms, join all the time, join all this data. And it just Mm. made all my queries complicated, made changing things complicated, caching complicated, everything just kind of got complicated. And so I resolved to merge all my data together into this one root truth, this one object that says, this is all the data I know about, period, end of story, and you can query me for anything you need. Yeah. And that model, it's so simple, you worry whether you can create a complex app with it, and I do worry about that, but so far I've been able to do it, and it's worked well for me, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, there's probably different varying layers of complexity of architecture versus testability and different things to think about when you're building an application. And I think it was interesting to watch it because if I have just a really small two to four page application, it's like, okay, well, what am I doing right now for scoreboard? Well, scoreboard, I have a bunch of, I actually do a lot in settings. So almost all, almost the entire application, this is kind of funny, the entire application. (laughs) Oh, oh, actually, if you think about how I architectured scoreboard, I almost did it this way. So in scoreboard, In scoreboard, there's some things that are happening. It's an app where you keep track of scores. You enter some people's names and you you inc- increment 
their score up and down. And at the end, I insert that into the database. But I wanted to persist all this data at all time. What if the app, somebody put into the background, they close it out. I wanted them to stop and start sure. all the time. Sure. So I store every single bit of data into shared preferences. <laughs> every, everything, oh. all of it. Not a database. No, <laughs> I thought no. you were going to say database. Because everything is simplistic I mean, just, data. It's player mm-hmm. one name, player yeah. two name, player one score, player mm-hmm. four score, name of the game. Yeah. And I do have some other databases where I put that in. Like when they finish a game, I insert that row. But the entire application yeah. is bound to this mega settings <laughs> class that literally is just sitting there feeding out state at that point. So... Funny story, uh, this is one of the data sources in MoCast also. Nice. I also had the genius idea of using user settings as a database. Worst idea possible. Uh, just in case, um, user settings does have limits, and the most important is it's like a one megabyte or five megabyte limit. I forget what it is, but each uh, row also has a, a limit, and it's even smaller. It's like 100K or 1K. Either way, it's small limits. And uh, MoCast, oddly enough, forgets... Um, it remembers the last 200 episodes you've listened to, mm. but it forgot about the 201st because guess what? <laughs> Size limits. So I, it's always been on my list to convert that over to a SQL database, but I just thought it was funny that you mentioned that. I like, and, and that's an important thing to to state too, is I've seen a lot of people are like, I'm going to pull down this huge JSON file and shove it into settings. Like, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. There's put it on disk. Yeah, yeah. That's what monkey cash does is like, I'll just create it on disk, right? That's fine. But yeah, for me, it was this global state and it was so minimal. It was about 50 entries into, into it or less mm-hmm. where I was like, Oh, this is sure. the entire app. And here at any time I can access any of the app state, no matter what. And it's very minimal. It's glorious. Work. It's very cool. To have that one central repository, I think in object-oriented, we, we got so excited because we're like, oh, every object can have state. How wonderful. They can be tight little black boxes, except we don't write any code like that. We write white boxes. We know exactly how each class works, and we're always poking into them, even to the point where we're using reflection and really breaking all user models of object orientation. So we just have the state distributed all throughout our apps, and keeping a handle on it is complicated. And so when you just have that one single unified state everything becomes simpler yeah we're working on a we're working on i gotta say one more thing before i continue yeah yeah we're working on a new library and miguel the miguel um i love him because he's like he's like i have i have i have a few requirements for this library and he goes (laughs) love miguel's requirements they're always the best and he goes no no interfaces no singletons no abstract classes no virtuals go (laughs) don't you want to hug him sometimes you're like oh you just want code how odd miguel (laughs) oh you just want us to jam on some code i see how it is (laughs) i love that he did that oh yeah i mean there's enterprise software and then there's over engineering so you got to find that wonderful line and i love that miguel gets a little tired of finding that line he's just like stop it just write code (laughs) so frank what if you do decide to go cross-platform with this application like have you thought about like oh maybe one day you want to go to apple tv or you want to go to windows have you thought about 
that implication. Yeah, then I'm completely screwed. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, I, I think when I make the decision of when I say I'm going to kind of go native, that I, I do make that calculation of how bad would it be to port this thing over to someplace else. And um, just <laughs> one more time on architecture, I think that's the better way to go. Like, don't write it if you don't need it. Like, why write an abstraction if you're not using it? Um, so anyway... So you can always add that abstraction later, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that so, I think that yeah. I've I've done that even in if I do start cross platform. Some people ask me, they're like, oh, I need to I need to get started with cross platform development and I need to buy an iOS device, an Android device, a Mac, I need to do all this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 just like start with one. Just start with one. You know, just do one. Yeah. Just that's <laughs> that good. App working. <laughs> and, and if you are using a cross platform user interface, like architecture code yeah. in a way that could, but if you are using a cross platform UI, guess what? Like if it works on one, mm-hmm. it's probably gonna be pretty close on the other, but uh, without some <laughs> tweaks. And that's how I became really productive. I was working on this contacts app and I just worked on Android, 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 Android. And I jammed it. I was like, this is great. And I think I only booted up the iOS application once and just to make sure all my images worked. And then I shipped it to test flight. And one tester goes, I click this button and this modal, you know, modal sheet like page came up Mm -hmm. for iOS and they go, um, there's no way to close it. And I was like, oh, I forgot to put (laughs) a done button. Whoops. Yeah. We don't have that hardware back button. <laughs> no hardware back button for for uh, for iOS. Yeah. So, whoops. so there are some gotchas, but besides that, yeah. I only really had to focus on one. So, okay. So let, let's go back to your view models because you mentioned those. And even when I'm doing this FRP style, I, I hate to use acronyms. I really do, but there's no good way to call this thing uh, Redux style. Um, you do actually create something like a view model. And as you know, view models are a great way to do cross-platform UIs because they really are just kind of the data and the operations. They are by definition abstracted from the actual implementation of the view. Well, you end up doing the same thing with the FRP style because you extract little bits from that global state object that, you know, that big object that knows everything. You pull little parts out uh, to create like little editors. So if I want to do a property sheet for one of the objects on the screen, it only has to deal with the part of the data model that has that object. So it's only working with that. Mm. And so you create view models. You create these distilled, simplified views that are more user-friendly than the core data model. And so I think just naturally, um, I don't know, it's like so baked into my head, I can't write a .NET app without it being already a little bit cross-platformy, kind of at its core, I guess is what I'm getting at. And so it's really just that last last mile of writing the user interface where I say I'm going native. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that uh, there's a good thing to talk about is even though that code may be locked into some, I mean, it may not even be in a .NET standard library. It might just be alongside, but that whole folder, if you think about it that way of just, at least when you're structuring your application saying like, I'm just only going to write some .NET code in here. I'm not going to jam in some stuff you know, um, (laughs) or you could, you could, uh, you could abstract some things too. I think some people, when I was, I was learning about this architecture of lifting some of this state up, they go, well, what if you need to make some calls? Cause HTTP client may be different between the web browser versus, um, a a mobile application versus the desktop or something Mm. like that. And they go, well, just just pass pass in some interface, right. That does whatever, some router instead of 
creating the new HTTP client in that class, make that a service or something like that and pass it in. And mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting to think of. So if all you need to do animations, then kind of pass in this generic animation thing uh, that that um, is kind of the core of it. Because really what most likely you care about are all of what core graphics or core animation is doing. And maybe there's extensions on a view. So it's like, oh, I'm going to pass in this generic view that I've created, which really under the hood has these methods that call something. It's kind of like you've almost created your own abstraction on top of the UI element, yeah. <laughs> which seems like a little bit of work. But if you're thinking like later on, that's the thing later on, right? You're like, oh, I jam some logic in there. Don't be mad about it. Just kind of rip it out slowly and surely. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even always ripping it out. I have to tell about a deep, dark secret that I've done more than once and I'm not exactly proud of, but it, gosh, it just works. Is Say I write up all this core animation code in order to get this thing to render the way I want. And then I, all the Windows users in the world are just begging, oh, we want your app. You must port your app over. And I decide I'm going to port my <laughs> app over. <laughs> Often what I do, I and this sounds so dumb, but I just re-implement core animation yeah. on Windows. Like, you know, it's an API. It's got some graphics commands. It's not that complicated. I'm not, like, I don't use core animation because I can't write core animation. I use core animation because it's fast. Mm. <laughs> but if I need core animation on Windows, I can write it. It's not that hard of a thing. And I've gone so far as to do this with UI kit, you know, so I'm implementing UI view and UI button and UI table view. I think it was at UI table view where I said, I have to stop. This is getting insane. But, <laughs> you know, if, if you're only using a subset of an API, then you can port that over. No biggie. That sounds terrible. Did no. I just, <laughs> no, I, do I just sound like an idiot now? <laughs> no, you know, it, do, do you remember, what was it? Project, not Centennial, Project Island would, there was some, oh, was this bringing UIKit to UWP? Was that it? Yes. They ported, they essentially ported yes. UIKit to UWP. Right. Which has so many questionable legalities. I'm not sure if that's why they stopped, but I'm guessing that's why they stopped. Um, yeah, I don't think a company like Microsoft can exactly pull that off, but you sure can in your little app. No one's going to care. But that was a great option. I love seeing things like that. And in fact, let me tell you about another little bet I'm taking. Okay. Uh, there's a rumor going around right now that uh, iP- iPad and iPhone apps may one day run on the Mac. Mm. This has been a rumor for 5 to 10 to 50 years. I don't know how long has Apple been around, but... I don't know. I feel like it could happen. I feel like Apple is getting to the point where they're going to allow that. And so it'd be really wonderful, Apple, if at this WWDC, you told me I can just run my iPad app on the Mac. That would be great. I would, Please do that. I would say <laughs> most of the APIs are there. Now, Touch isn't there. However, right. I will right. say what they need to do is fix the Mac App Store. If they could fix the Mac App Store, perhaps <laughs> that would be a lead-in. Yeah. To, so how do you... So, so this is a good question. We actually got this question from a listener, Murray. And Murray was asking, and it tunes in great to this topic, about doing desktop development. He, he was asking specifically around just doing it with Xamarin because he didn't have any experience um, with Xamarin desktop type of development for Mac. Uh, yeah. But I would, I, would, I would further that. Like when you go in, I assume you're not going to use a cross-platform forms. Like you said, you're just going to go straight to storyboards, code uh, behind, or like what's that experience no. like? What's that experience <laughs> like as someone that's created Mac apps? Because I have no idea. I'm oblivious to this. Yeah. The truth is, I probably will still use Xamarin Forms in parts. Like, mm. you just can't beat Xamarin Forms for popping up 
like a form. <laughs> Sorry to u- keep using the word, but a bunch of text boxes and dials and things to show numbers with little uh, that update automatically with XAML binding and all that. That's all terribly convenient. There's no sense in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Is that how that phrase goes? I don't know. Whatever goes out with the bathwater. Uh, you, you can use them all. We've talked about Xamarin Forms embedding, and I'm a big champion of that. Even if I'm not running a cross-platform app, mm. I don't want to write another UI table view delegate. I just don't. It's it's a terrible API. I hate it. And if I can just get some entries up on the screen with like five lines of code, yeah, doing that. No problem. <laughs> that makes sense. I actually, someone was asking me about getting started with apps and I, I wrote this huge blog post about getting started. Did you, did you look at that at all? I, I went on, I almost, oh, you know, I love getting started guides. I did a, almost an ask me anything on uh, Twitter ah. and someone wrote into me. Okay. So this was genius. Someone wrote into me and they said, I have all these questions and I go, I'm not going to answer them, but I will gladly write a blog post answering them and then link you to it. So I did that. But ah, then at the yeah. same time, nice. I, I asked Twitter and Twitter asked a thousand questions back at me, go figure. And I put little twi- Twitter things in there and I commented on all of them. And it was really interesting in general. But that uh, So f- fill me in, what happened? So a lot of questions, just people getting started for the first time, not knowing what template mm-hmm. to select, which is funny enough. Yeah. And <laughs> people really kind of got hung up on this. I have to pick, I have to know right now what my app is going to be when it's finished. It seemed like this was a recurring theme. I need to know if I'm going traditional UI or I'm going Xamarin Forms UI or I'm going to do everything in Skia. Uh, and I think that's almost what yeah. you are pacing around with is that. But what you seem mm-hmm. to be saying is you might do a mashup, a hybrid app of sorts if we go that way of hybrid different UIs. Uh, yeah. My goal is to write very little amount of code. Pro tip to anyone out there. If you want to support an app long term, the less code, the better. (laughs) So I want to leverage all the tools I can. And that's why I said, um, I don't want that over engineering of being cross platform if I'm not going to be cross platform. The specific reason is it's less code specifically. (laughs) And so if there's a library out there that allows me to write less code, I will use it plain and simple. Uh, that's funny because I do have a reputation and not invented here, but that's, <laughs> that's for when I'm writing libraries, not when I'm writing apps for apps. I'm just trying to create UIs and focus on that part, but they are hard decisions. I mean, there are a lot of templates. I, I, I get stuck where, where you started this podcast, where you just file new and you're just like, uh, oh, <laughs> what, what am I making here? I just wanted to put a button on this. <laughs> I do do that as well. And I think that hopefully the visual studio team is listening and thinks about this hierarchy of there. It's nice that there's a lot of templates, but I almost don't want to know all about those, all those templates for a bit. That's why it's kind of funny when you think of like .NET new, it's like, Oh, just .NET new. And like, that's all right. Now I'm good. Like that's the one option. They gave me a bunch of options now, but mm-hmm. now there's for a while. Oh, it is actually. Yeah. Now it was just, it was for a while, just that, that but that list has gotten long. Yeah. <laughs> the .NET new list. It used to be like console app, web app, what else do you need? And <laughs> now it's just like everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tough. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. I, I think what I'm saying is I can't help but to write a cross-platform app. But what I'm not doing is that last little bit of 5%. I'm, I'm going to focus that 5% instead on making the most killer iOS, in this case, app that takes full advantage of the platform. And if it comes time to port it... 80% is already portable. I just have to do the other 20% again, and I'll deal with it then. Yeah, that's a good strategy, and that's a good note to end on, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm letting everyone down. Forms forever, 100% forms. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I think that 
it's interesting because I, I think we will get into the topics of other cross-platform frameworks and things like that. And mm-hmm. at some point, there's always the fallback that you need to access those native APIs. You need to access some native user interface. You need the renders. You need to do that stuff. And no matter how good a cross-platform framework is, it's not going to it's never going to be a silver bullet. And I always thought that that was what attracted me so much to Xamarin compared to other cross-platform scenarios is that I could just create just an Android application if that's what I needed. You know, I built a DVR in Android in Xamarin. Like that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And that was never going to go on any other iOS device ever. And I just (laughs) created a new Android app and I built an entire DVR system on it. And you know, I think that that was really something crucial, but if I needed to, maybe I needed to bring that to Apple TV that didn't exist at the time. Well, I could have, I just (laughs) plop a new UI on top of it, but I always thought that was the most attractive part of it. And it sounds like I'm evangelizing the product yet again. But when I look at (laughs) cross-platform solutions, that's always what I go back to is what is my fallback? Is my fallback that I can't get access to that stuff? Is it my fallback that I have to go right Swift or Java or something, or mm-hmm. is my fallback mm-hmm. that I can just do it in the language that I'm writing everything else in? And I thought that that was the best trade-off. Mm. That's where we should end. And that's where we end. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. In fact, thanks to all of our new patrons over on patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm. Uh, over there, you know, you can support the show even further besides just telling a friend. That's a number one way, by the way. You don't need to give us money. If you just tell a friend or subscribe on their uh, iOS or Android device automatically for them, that's the best way. That's the best gift that you can give. Um, and, um, you know, when people leave their, you know, machine unlocked, just log into iTunes, subscribe them. No big deal. No. Don't do that. That's don't bad. be that person. Don't be that person. <laughs> um, it's a good rickroll. Um, but we had tons of great support and... Uh, it's March now. It's more recording in March, which is awesome. Oh, gosh. It's crazy. A third of time flies. time flies. And we have tons of new <laughs> um, backers. Uh, Homero, Ryan, uh, Davis, uh, Eden upped, upped uh, his membership. What? Which is cool. Nice. Thomas, Robin, Carl Barton, Kim over there uh, coming Woo. in. Lars and hey, Kale. Um, some big pledges, which is cool. Everyone wow. joins us in our Discord. That's chat. Such a long list. There's a lot of people. Yeah, this all happened. Amazing. In Thank you, everyone. A week or two. Yeah, and uh, it's really cool. <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, and and I will say, I'm really stoked. A lot of great conversation in our Discord, even though we're not in there all the time, and we try. <laughs> Um, that's my bad people. I'm not a good chatter. I'm not a good multitasker. So I, I just gotta be a better chatter. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but I will start processing all the goodies, the stickers and pins and letters. It was really fun to see uh, Twitter light up when everyone was receiving their, uh, yeah. their goodies. I got to work on my handwriting. Oh, I didn't know people were going to post pictures. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm going to use a ruler next time. Yeah, you got to do it. So I think besides that, you can, of course, follow us everywhere on the internet. Uh, Merch Conflict FM is the Twitter account. I'm James Montemagno. Proclare them over there. I've been doing these really fun videos. Um, I don't know if you saw them at all, Frank, but I have these 30 second to 60 second clips of us talking as a sneak peek. Have you seen those? No, Um, I haven't. I have. So I have a few of them. Where does one see these? On Twitter. Uh, If you go to my Twitter account and... Yeah, you can actually go uh, down a little bit. I, I did one on this <laughs> container one. Yeah, here we go from nine hours ago. I'll go ahead and post it in our Zencast. Little, little outtakes. Yeah, there. I, I take some. Did we sound good. <laughs> we. I take this one. It has like three hundred views, which is crazy. Um, and I put little nice little little things in it, and it's I don't know. It's really fun. I have a fun time doing video editing. 
Um, oh, yes. So I did see these. Um, yeah, by default, uh, Twitter has the uh, volume off. Yes. So everyone, make sure you turn the volume on. It's the big uh, gray, gray merge conflict. Yeah. I'm going to now put a waveform uh, in there, too. So that's kind of my, ah, my jam. Nice. So that way you know that there's audio <laughs> cool. happening. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to do those. This has been really fun. Just get some feedback on them. Don't take me a lot of time, but it's, it's pretty cool. So anyways, you can follow us. You can subscribe. You can write us an email. We love that, just like Murray did this week, uh, which is super cool. Leads right into topics we're talking about. Just go to mergeconflict.fm for all the goodies. And that's about it, Frank. That is it. Anything from you? Woo. Uh, no. Thank you all for putting up with my ultra nasally voice this week. <laughs> I appreciate it. And that was a fun one. Got that, got that off my head. A little less pacing around this week, I hope. So thanks. Good. Well, settle down. I'm going to go head off to a Sounders game. And until next week, nice. this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.